It's often said that the one thing we can be sure of is change. Whether that's in our personal lives or in our careers, we can always be assured that there will be ups and downs and highs and lows that we often have to navigate. And oftentimes when it comes to our careers, we're not aware of the resources that are actually available to us that would be able to help us to be able to navigate all the various challenges that life throws at our careers and our aspirations. My name is Sikha Bolani and welcome to the Workplace Revolution. Today I'm joined by Boniwe Dunster, um, who is an IPM Human Resources Practitioner of the Year finalist in 2022, (laughs) with over 16 years experience from various industries, including manufacturing, management consulting, and financial services. She is passionate about education, people development, fairness in the workplace, community projects, and uses her work and general life experience together with the network she has built over the years to educate people about the world of work its everyday dynamics, and how to navigate its complexities. She is the founder of Blue Eagle Human Capital Practice, which was founded in November 2021 with the aim of simplifying HR concepts and making HR advisory and services available to everyone. She holds a postgrad diploma in labor law with the University of the Western Cape, a certificate in coaching from the University of Cape Town, a postgrad diploma in leadership development from Stellenbosch, a BA in Industrial Psychology from Northwest University and National Diploma in Public Relations from Val. I mean, girl, <laughs> my, 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 my page ran out of space. <laughs> when you are welcome to the Workplace Revolution. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to, to finally be able to sit with you. It's the first time we've met, but we've right? been in each other's <laughs> digital world for the longest time. Yes. And you have become somebody who has really become a well of information and education for so many people um, on our om- online communities and obviously through the work that you're doing as well. But why HR? Why HR, right? To be honest, I never studied HR as my first choice. It somehow found me in the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, one manager said, let me interview you. And he interviewed me for an HR role, got the job, and then I was never able to get out. Uh, but having been in that space for so long, I realized it's where I want to be. The space allows me to live my purpose, and which is actually educating people and making sure that people are well taken care of. And the best way to do that for me right now is through corporates or through individuals that are in corporate Mm -hmm. trying to understand how they can navigate it because I think it's as not as easy as we assume it to be you know to navigate the complexities the challenges you don't know where to go people doubt us and our credibility as HR professionals Mm -hmm. and I wanted to find myself in a space whereby I could be credible Mm -hmm. and I could be available to more people than just being limited to one space Mm -hmm. and since then I've invested you know myself in having to acquire a qualification in industrial psychology in labor law in coaching because those are some of the facets that you find in HR not Mm -hmm. the hiring and firing as people believe that you do (laughs) or rather just processing payroll and I think yeah that's why HR and where I am right now I'm comfortable I'm happy and I think I have found my space and my niche Mm, I love that and so many people are searching for that space for themselves so I love that you have found that now one of the interesting things um, from your bio which I I wouldn't be able to continue this conversation without touching on this first, (laughs) Um, is the fact that 
you know, one of the things that you're passionate about is fairness in the workplace. Sure. And oftentimes when people think of HR, that is not the first thing that comes to mind. Definitely. Instead, it's HR is against employees. HR is for the organization. They don't have our best interests at heart. What do you think are some of the missteps that the HR profession Mm -hmm. has made that makes people feel that way? Yeah. One thing about HR, people often say HR is not your friend. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear that quite a lot. And you don't blame them. People who often say that is because that's how they have experienced Mm -hmm. HR. However, I think some of the things we get wrong as HR professionals in our space, it's not really understanding our roles. Mm -hmm. And part of our role is actually being people advocates. Mm -hmm. So we need to advocate for people in the workplace. Mm -hmm. The reason we need to advocate for people is because we are the custodians of the processes and the policies, is because we understand how human behavior works. You know, we are are behavioral scientists Mm -hmm. by profession, and that really enables us to be better, you know, advisors or, you know, uh, practitioners in our space. And people don't understand the people advocacy part of it. And I think that's what's neglected most of the time. And then you come to the business itself, right? Still with the same principle, right? How do I advise you better? How do I make good recommendations for your business for you to be able to get the best out of people to be able to get the results? Mm -hmm. But we forget the human element to say to enable this, you need employees and for your employees to deliver for you, they need to be well taken care of Mm -hmm. and understanding that there would be employees that will definitely do the wrong things, people that will be disengaged, people that will, you know, be disruptive. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't take away that, but it's like, how do we bring the harmony into it? And I think that's where we lose it and purely because we are employees ourselves Mm -hmm. first we have a scorecard to chase and sometimes our scorecards aren't really people centric Mm -hmm. and that's why it's easy to overlook that element Mm -hmm. and I think that's where we get it wrong and I think as soon as we can you know put ourselves out there you know position ourselves you know as people advocates and also advocating for business success Mm -hmm. then bringing that balance can help us to be more trustworthy professionals Mm -hmm. and people can come to us the same way that business does come to us directly when they have Mm -hmm. a problem with Seatly you know Mm -hmm. I have a problem with Seatly help me Mm -hmm. to do something about Seatly whether it's good or bad it's something else but they can confidently come to us mm-hmm. but we can't get employees confidently coming to us to say i struggle with manager xyz and these are the challenges how do i navigate it mm-hmm. please help us with an intervention please you know try to intervene or give me guidance on how to do that and that is what is lacking mm. you know one of the things that i have certainly noted over the course of my career as well whether whether it was during employment or even now in, in my consulting work is oftentimes people see HR as a function that is weaponized, right? And so it becomes a case of it's only the people who have a certain level of organizational power Mm. who can use the Mm -hmm. weapon that is HR in order to advance whatever agenda that they may have. And I guess the question then comes down to from an internal marketing perspective. So, for instance, if, if I'm in the marketing department and... I am wanting people in the organization to know what we do. You're going to know because there's flyers everywhere, there's events, there's communication, there's all of these things. Mm -hmm. If people want to plan an event, they'll probably come to the marketing department first for advice and for support and all of these things. Why do people not know what HR actually does? It goes back to my earlier point to say, how do we take ownership in terms of making sure that we solidify ourselves Mm -hmm. in that space. It somehow looks like we are waiting for someone to come and say, hey, this is what HR does. Mm -hmm. No one is going to come and tell the workforce what we do. We need to take initiative as HR practitioners to actually do that. Mm -hmm. And to your earlier point around people weaponizing HR, 
oftentimes the business hides behind HR policies and practices. Mm -hmm. If they don't want to do something, they will say to employees, HR said we can't. HR said we don't have money. HR said we can't fund your studies. Mm -hmm. Guys, they they give us power when it suits them, but they use it to their advantage. Mm -hmm. We don't make such decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't make a decision to say promote Seatly. You need to tell me as a line manager that I need to promote Seatly because this is what she has achieved. She's already operating at the next level. How do we make that happen in the next, you know, 18 to 24 months Mm -hmm. so we can actually help them to craft your path to your next promotion? Mm -hmm. But when they don't want to promote Seatly and they have that conversation with you, they will say HR said, Mm -hmm. with what powers? I did not hire Seatly. Mm -hmm. Seatly does not belong to me, does not even report to me. Mm -hmm. Right, so those are some of the things. It looks like they are weaponizing it, but it's when it suits them, when it suits the powers, or when it suits the line managers' different agendas. And then um, again, back to us having to position ourselves. What do we do that makes a difference to people? What do we do during that process of having to require, you know, a, a new position coming in? That the recruitment, the talent acquisition. What do we do, and how do we engage with people when they land? In our organizations, do we tell them what we do? Do we tell them what HR does in an organization? Do we inform them about our policies? Do we unpack those policies? Do we onboard them properly? Mm -hmm. During that recruitment and onboarding uh, stage, that's when uh, a lot of relationships are built Mm -hmm. between HR and and employees. How you help them transition and cement themselves in the organization through, uh, you know, transitions of different stages, we are there. But if we are not, and we are always chasing recruitment targets, we're always chasing the performance management, uh, you know, timeline, do we even have our scorecards? We don't even check the quality of the scorecards because we are ticking boxes that would actually talk to our scorecards. Mm-hmm. And for that, we miss an opportunity of actually taking a break to say, what have I done that has made an impact, mm-hmm. that has changed the narrative around my profession in the workspace? And I don't think we take enough time as HR professionals to think about that mm-hmm. and to actually apply it in our workspaces. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. One of the things that... You know, I find myself thinking about quite a bit is obviously how every profession transforms and evolves over time um, and the way in which it works evolves. Uh, When you think about recruitment processes, for instance, um, and talent management and whether or not people get promotions, oftentimes the, the process or the requirements for those things is so unclear for employees. So, for instance, if you're thinking about it from a recruitment perspective, now there's an increase in the reliance on technology. So people are submitting CVs and the technology on the recruiting side of it is not picking up certain things on CVs. And honestly, technology can only pick up so much. Sure. Um, and so, so many talented people often fall through the cracks because of the mechanisms that are in place. So even from an interviewing perspective, I have observed interviews where you can see that the the hiring manager and the HR person are just reading a list of interview questions that are a script, no matter if you are recruiting a PR person, an HR person, a, a an IT person, it's the same questions being asked. So you're not able to actually assess whether people are a good fit for the organization. So how can we begin to approach it differently? Because even from a a talent management and a a promotion perspective, people don't know what they actually are aiming for because the conversations are often not had and there's often no clarity around, okay, if I am a junior manager today, what do I need to do to become a middle manager? Mm. What are the outcomes that I need to have achieved? um, And what support do I require? Sure. 
I think what's important uh, for us to understand from a corporate perspective, right, HR, IT, and everybody else, we also need to understand the lay of the land and the workforce that we are targeting as an, as an organization. Mm-hmm. So you also cannot adopt a technology that is used by probably Google or, you know, take a lot and everything that is so advanced, mm-hmm. but your workforce doesn't really talk to that technology. Mm-hmm. So we also need to be able to understand and adapt to the workforce that we are actually recruiting or are our focus areas. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes people tend to buy technologies because they are the in thing, you know, mm-hmm. they're the hot uh, technology in a space, but really it doesn't, and you also want to be part of, you know, for a groupie that's actually using it, but it doesn't really address, uh, you know, your workforce challenges. It doesn't really help you to translate your workforce into the workforce of the future. So I think that's the first mistake that uh, that we do. And then when it comes to interviews and how we interview, I had a question yesterday, or rather a comment. Somebody said to me, I asked a question at the end of of an interview, and I could see the frustration in the panel by me asking. Mm -hmm. So question is, do we really have a diverse panel when we interview people? And do we have the right people sitting in those in those interviews? You have an interview guide which will have the competencies. And for you to assess, especially, you know, your soft skills competencies, you would actually find the questions are more or less the same. If probably you are assessing for, you know, for strategic competencies for customer service and all of those things, but your interview guide also needs to incorporate technical questions, mm-hmm. and this is where your line manager comes in because mm-hmm. they have those expertise. But does the line manager also understand what kind of technical capabilities are they looking out of an individual, right? And it's called that an interview guide. Mm-hmm. It's not an interview script. It's a guide. You don't really have to follow it. That's why sometimes you would find us having to jump in between questions or sometimes we ask one question, but the answer leads to three questions being answered, right? So you follow the flow, you read the room, you read the person, and some people, they don't really have the expertise to do that. Mm -hmm. Then it goes back, do we really have the right people at at a management level, at a leadership level, even within the HR practice that are driving that? agenda Mm. and then we talk about you know leadership and management uh, development are they there because they were promoted due to their technical abilities or they also were identified because they've got good you know people management skills and they've they've got the potential to develop into that Mm. and those are some of the things that are often uh, missed you know in the process so like I said people are chasing recruitment numbers Mm. people are chasing to close off um a retrenchment process by a certain point in time because before the financial end, we needed to have saved this out of this process. But we're forgetting the human uh, element in it. And mm-hmm. HR, is, I often say it: the world of work and HR can be complex. Mm-hmm. It is complex. The sad part is that everybody thinks HR is easy and it can be done by everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's why we actually see these things that are actually happening where people say, but the panel was unhappy with me asking questions, but why? Mm -hmm. Because by virtue of you sitting in a panel, it means you've got a certain level of expertise that will be able to engage the the potential candidate, Mm -hmm. and your engagement cannot only be limited to an interview guide. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that we need to look into and we need to address. But it also depends on the organizational culture Mm -hmm. and the leadership of the organization if that is something that is important for them. And where it is not important, we will always have these frustrations in the process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, the culture component is such a, an important part of it. And oftentimes um, we, we, we overlook it from a candidate perspective. Sure. Oftentimes people are just wanting an opportunity. So they don't even look out for 
the markers or they don't know what markers to look out for. Sure. Um, and from, from an interviewer perspective, so the employer oftentimes uh, comes in with that positional power. Sure. You know, where we're making the decision, we have the power, we ask you the questions, you're not here to interview us. How do people navigate that? Because, I mean, even with the example that you mentioned, sure. because people now, and particularly the, as the, year, the workforce gets younger, mm. this younger generation has a whole lot of questions, you know, and I have an 18-year-old to <laughs> prove it, <laughs> you know. And if you, if, you, if you don't have the emotional intelligence to be able to allow people to ask and question mm. and challenge you, obviously with respect and professionalism. But if you lack that ability, mm-hmm. you're doing such a disservice, not just for the, the person that you are potentially hiring, but for the organization as a whole, because Definitely. what is the culture that exactly. you're setting out? Right. And then it also talks about uh, my previous point around leadership development and management development. Mm-hmm. So what kind of people are we advancing to such positions, mm-hmm. right? And COVID-19 pandemic has proved to us that it's not only technical abilities that would actually advance, uh, you know, careers or that would advance businesses, right? It was the softer skills, you know, that were needed at that point Mm. in time. Your empathy, your emotional intelligence, your interpersonal skills, your intercultural skills, right? Because we were working remotely. So having to assert your power through your presence in the office was not there. Mm. And a lot of leaders actually struggled, you know, because now you don't see bumps on seats. Now you you don't see that I've got actually... 30 people reporting to me. So that disempowers you because that huge department that you are responsible for, you can't see it with the naked eye and you are sitting at home from eight to five and you feel useless, right? Because your your leadership or your management style rather has actually been centered around seeing people, giving instructions, asserting your power, you know, telling people not to, you know, to question you. And that's what we saw. And if you look at the work of Brene Brown, who talks a whole lot about vulnerability, Mm -hmm. you would actually see that the reason we're having these gaps is because we also don't have leaders that are vulnerable, Mm -hmm. you know, to their staff or to their peers in their workspace. And we don't say being vulnerable, telling everybody about your problems, you know, but also acknowledging that I'm an individual. You know, I also go through challenges. As much as we might have pressure on the floor, I also have pressure, you know, at the top. Mm -hmm. But you don't share that because you would feel that will take take away you know your chips on your shoulder Mm. oh he's like this but he's also you know having problems you know you don't have the emotional maturity to be able to appreciate you know the social setting of your team and taking into account or taking into stock what some of their challenges are they're going through because you believe that they can't go through challenges they're here for product for productivity and for for you productivity is separated from wellness productivity is separate separated from from your emotions or from your challenges back at home but no they're intertwined so people don't really get to understand that and it goes back to what are the kind of processes and people that we are bringing into our space that are going to help us to build the and organizations they need to be honest Mm. to themselves the question is 
are corporates honest mm. in terms of what the needs the needs are are they being honest in terms of what are their current challenges are mm. they don't because being vulnerable to say as an organization i'm struggling with one two three four five it's going to take away you know my reputation in the industry mm. my reputation in the market and people you know don't you know don't want that we don't we have people that struggle with courageous conversations mm. we have managers that cannot honestly tell you to say see i think you're not well suited for this position because these are where your skills are sitting mm. and for that i actually want to try you in a different role or you know with a different project to make sure that we leverage of you holistically in terms of what you can bring mm. you know and we have managers that would actually uh, be punitive to people purely because of their developmental areas mm. you don't get an opportunity to look at their strengths in terms of how i can use them effectively one person makes a mistake and they're crucified you know for it that cannot be the future of work that we're talking about and people don't understand like i said earlier intercultural you know skills you know interpersonal skills and all of those things when you are um a baby boomer or a you know a generation x having to deal with the generation z it's different mm. those people like you said they will question you mm. they will actually want to understand but why are we doing this what is the value mm. how does it fit in into the value chain mm. and you will be so irritated and maybe you are losing an opportunity on innovation because you do not allow yourself to be questioned because you believe that or you come from an era whereby a younger person cannot actually question you. Mm. And they're not questioning you because they want to challenge what you're telling them, but they actually want to understand yeah. how, like, what I'm doing, does it bring value? Mm. If it doesn't bring value, maybe we need to question why am I why am I doing it? And by virtue of allowing such, you can actually learn. So we find that the education and the socialization around having multicultural uh, groups existing in a workplace, it's not something that is uh, given enough attention, you know, or resources to invest in how we develop around having these different generations coexisting in one space. Mm. Because currently we have uh, organizations that have four generations to five generations that are existing, but it's a clash, it's a struggle mm. because no one is confident enough or no one is willing to invest the resources and time to say, guys, let's understand what each and every one of us bring because with all those generations, everybody has a space, mm. right? Everybody has a space. You might be a, a baby boomer. You have the institutional knowledge that mm. I might need as a millennial. And as a millennial, I might be technologically savvy, you know, and very proactive in things mm. that can actually help you to use your, your institutional knowledge, you know, uh, effectively, you know. As soon as we can embrace that we are needed and we are also, you know, we are also important and we all have a place in the chain, mm. then we will get to a better space. Absolutely. I think, you know, operating from a place of fear is often one of the biggest hindrances that we face in, in the workplace and the relationships that we build in the workplace and impedes our ability to be able to embrace diversity of thought and perspectives um, and approaches to the way in which we do things. And, you know, COVID-19 is the, probably for our generation, um, particularly the, the biggest <laughs> change that we have faced and it has challenged us in so many ways but it has also now forced us to confront questions about what does it actually mean to be a professional what is actually my career path is this what I want to do um, is there more that I can do the work that I do I may be good at it but is it fulfilling mm. a lot of people are starting to ask themselves those self-actualizing questions sure. and there's a lot of conversation that's coming up now around transferable skills 
and we talk about it because this is the space that we play in. We understand exactly what it means. But for somebody who maybe has seen the term or not even heard the term, how would you explain transferable skills? Transferable skills are skills that you actually learn from one job to the other that you can actually use. For example, let's assume a relationship building. Um, You can learn the skill around relationship building, maybe being in a marketing space because you work with a lot of external customers and you learn that, you know, when you have multiple stakeholders, you need to prioritize them. You know, you need to make time, you need to check up on them. You need to maintain relationships because there are benefits to a mutually good relationship. Once you've mastered that skill in your current workplace, you can actually go and use the very same skill in your next position in another organization. Mm -hmm. So in simple ways is that uh, those are the skills that you learn and you can move around with them from one place to another. Mm -hmm. And you can apply them in different scenarios, in different workplaces, in different, you know, community initiatives that you actually work at. So it's something that you learn and then you can carry with you versus the technical skills which are important to you having to do a specific deliverable, for Mm -hmm. example, coding. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, You know, probably in the engineering space, those are technical skills that you need to be able to execute a certain mandate. But transferable skills, they can be used anywhere across in different settings, whether you're engaging with people that are at a higher level or your peers. You know, we're talking about critical skills, you know, problem solving. Mm -hmm. We always solve problems at home, at work, in our community. So when we're talking about transferable skills, we're talking about such skills that you can use at different places in different scenarios. And those are the skills that will also help you to grow beyond the technical role that you're occupying. Mm. And one of the transferable skills that is is crucial for all of us is communication (laughs) (laughs) right and often um and particularly people who are in roles that are very kind of technical where they just are sitting doing something or fixing something or you know um Mm -hmm. they tend to shy away from or think that they don't need to have good communication skills um and yet when you think about how careers advance and how networks are built communication lies at the core of it sure and one of the things that i i often have conversations with people about is around how challenged they feel when they need to network um how do they approach it what do they say you know um they, they don't know what to speak about they sure. walk in and they kind of just stand there and they wait for people to come to them and say hi first mm-hmm. um and so from one of the tools that i love using is the elevator pitch sure what are some of the elements of a really effective elevator pitch that people can actually begin practicing mm-hmm. and using to help them break into this world of networking and communicating sure. with confidence? Yeah. The good thing is self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Self-awareness is very important. You can't have an elevator pitch if you don't know who you are mm-hmm. and what you stand for. And as soon as you understand that, it enables you to talk about yourself. Because remember, in elevator speech, ordinarily or in layman terms, it's about selling yourself. What mm-hmm. is your sales pitch, right? So who are you and what are you there for? And what is the impact and the contribution that you're doing? And right. those are very key. Mm-hmm. So if you can just get those few things right, then you have your 90 seconds elevator speech. You know, if it's for two minutes or whatever, it's okay. But those are, those are key things. So have an opportunity and actually having to understand who am I? What do I want to do? What am I doing here? What will I do beyond this? And how will I position this to someone else if they were to quickly ask me or if this was probably, you know, a speech that's going to get me to my promotion? And Mm -hmm. I think that's how people need to think about it. And then back to your point around networking, 
I think there's a misconception around networking as well because people often assume networking with an event. Mm. They think it's a once-off event. You go to an event at an institution, probably it's a book launch perhaps, and then you're thinking that is not uh, networking. By virtue of you being there, you're not networking with anyone. Networking is when you actually take that step in terms of what am I going to be doing at that book launch mm -hmm. and why is it important? Why is that book important to me? Mm -hmm. uh, who are the people that are going to be attending that book launch and who is the one person that I would actually want to talk to? Or if I was to engage with someone around the book launch, what are the questions that I would ask a person? And if you have went to an event and spoken to one or two people, that's enough, mm -hmm. right? And I said it's not an event because after you've spoken to that person, what did you talk about and how do you follow through that mm -hmm. conversation? And networking, it's actually that follow through after you have met someone, the follow through after you have actually attended that event. And I think that is the piece that's missing in the networking puzzle because people think, you know, I attend so many network events, but, you know, um, I don't really still not know anyone, you know. Mm. So it's that art. The art is like find people that will be critical for you at, at that event questions that will be critical to the conversation and how do you take the conversation beyond the event? Mm, absolutely. Moving with purpose. Sure. I think so often we get so comfortable with just going for the sake of, or oh, for vibes, as these kids <laughs> say, you know, and we don't actually approach it from a strategic perspective to say, okay, I'm going there with an intention. What sure. is that intention? Yes. Um, and being able to reflect on that at the end of the day, you know, and say, so did I actually achieve what I wanted to achieve Definitely. and what are the next steps yeah. um one of my favorite things to ask myself is, is what is the next best step um following any interaction that i have Definitely. because it helps you really plot down a, a, a very kind of direct and and focused way of approaching relationship building sure and relationship building is not only about what you can get from other people it's mm -hmm. also about what value you can offer them definitely and it's always important to always bear that in mind always offer before you take mm -hmm. because that is what makes people more receptive to yes. you yes now <sighs> hybrid environments in the office out of the office need to be in two days a week need to be in full time mm -hmm. where do you see the future of work actually going right <laughs> i thought about this at some point and you know somebody said or there's this common saying that says the more things change the more things stay the same mm -hmm. right for some time for like a year and a half to two years we were all at home and we we're all happy now everybody's back on the road right mm -hmm. and then there is there is traffic but i believe that uh you know flexible work uh you know hybrid work or working from anywhere which is part of the hybrid model is the future of work mm -hmm. because we have seen again through the pandemic that people value different things in their lives yeah. and by that as an employer of the future you need to be able to cater for different needs for your workforce so you will not have a linear workforce or a one-dimensional workforce rather that is everybody's coming to the to work from eight to five you know people want to be there for their families and for their kids people want to take care of their health better mm -hmm. people want to invest in their development whether you know through academic or you know through initiatives in their communities mm -hmm. so if you need a well-rounded workforce you need to somehow be able to cater for that mm -hmm. and for you to cater for that it will actually talk to you being hybrid and being flexible even around the offerings of benefits that you have for your for your people because what might be important to you might not be important mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. you might actually want to work 
um, maybe, you know, half day in the office and half day at home because maybe you might have your daughter to pick up from school. You might have a play date. It might not be important to me as Bonnie because I don't have a child. I don't have a family. So I don't mind waking up until late in the evening when you're providing for for medical aid, I might not have any illnesses. My health might be in a good condition, so maybe I might just need a hospital plan. But you might have somebody that has chronic illnesses that might need a comprehensive plan. Mm -hmm. And organizations need to cater for such. And that also talks to then your work model to say, with the workforce that I have, with the model that I have, with the flexible benefits that I have, am I getting the best out of everybody? Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get the best out of everybody by dictating only one way mm -hmm of working some people's brain like myself my brain definitely works late in the evening i struggle during the day mm -hmm. I, I promise you i do try i do things but i struggle but late in the evening then my brain starts to starts to function mm -hmm. but unfortunately the, the south african labor market does not really cater for that at this point in time mm -hmm. and then you have people that will that are you know early risers and you know they work you know, in the morning, you know, they're creative at that point in time. And they say, by one o'clock, I need to be, you know, I need to be done with my work. But how do you make sure that these two people mm -hmm. come together to deliver for you? And they can, right? Mm -hmm. But because we are being taught and, you know, we have this work situation or, you know, work, working times from eight to five, everybody has to fit in there or everybody has to come to the office. We've got introverts and extroverts. How do you make sure that you get the, you get the best out of both mm -hmm. with everybody else? Other people, they, you know, they get their energy from interactions or from being around people other people do not mm -hmm. and those that do not there's nothing wrong with them mm -hmm. you know because that is not their measure of their intelligence or capability mm -hmm. so you need to bring that together so i think for me hybrid model is the way to go and it needs to be very accommodative it needs to be very uh, flexible but again it also comes back to the management and the leadership layer that we have mm -hmm. that's going to be able to support that so if a manager their emotional intelligence is not well-rounded. Their interpersonal skills are not well-rounded. They, they are not even empathetic and they are not even understanding to different social ills and challenges that we face in our country. That is also not going to work. Mm -hmm. So you need to couple a hybrid working model with a sound management and leadership layer mm -hmm. as well. Mm, absolutely. You know, so right now we are in South Africa, mm. our land... Right. We are faced with a number of challenges, right? We have got an economy that is struggling. We have got a cost of living that has skyrocketed. We have load shedding for nine hours a day, if you're lucky, you know. Sure. Um, we And we have salaries that don't increase at that rate. We have people who are already underpaid as it stands. Um, and oftentimes, you know, these are very real things that we're dealing with. Sure. All of us sure. are dealing with this pressure at different levels, mm -hmm. right? There are some people who have some sort of buffer because they have the privilege of maybe earning well and they've been able to invest and have all of these things. So they can kind of, they have some fat built around them. Sure. But the very real reality is that for most South Africans, majority of our population does not have that. They don't even have the means to make it to the end of the month comfortably. Now, these people come into the workplace, they have a job to do. The cost of public transportation has gone up because the petrol price has gone up mm -hmm. every single month. Um, their groceries have gone up. School fees have gone up. 
everything is going up and your salary is not moving mm-hmm. and they are going to blame the organization sure because you're not paying me enough mm-hmm. you're not paying me at the rate of inflation you're not countering or you know you're not bring you're not considering your english you're not considering all of these factors that sure. i'm faced with sure financially mm-hmm. But at the same time, the organization is also dealing with those same factors, sure. right? Because right. business may not be as, you know, they would also ideally want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are employing people, you can't give everyone an increase at the same time, all the time, at the same rate. Mm-hmm. How can we bridge that gap of understanding between the two? Because bridging the gap practically mm. is going to take a very long time, if at all. So how do we mend the divide that's a higher grade question I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's why i gave it to you because i don't know <laughs> like how do i answer that guys right it's so funny because as i was coming here i was actually attending a webinar talking about the same thing right mm. um, i think first of all it's also around the openness you know between the employer and the employees right mm. because oftentimes we find that um, employers are not sharing as much information as they should around the operations, around the finances and all of those things. And people would assume that, you know, they are also making money, they are also making profit, but at the detriment or at the expense of the of the employees, right? Mm. So they need to be open and we actually need a collective engagement around, you know, the private sector, the public sector, the people, the labor, uh, the labor movements as well in terms of having these conversations. And unfortunately, our country is a capitalist country country you know um you know as much as we would want to be a socialist country where you know what nobody goes to bed hungry mm-hmm. no everybody has shelter everybody has access to you know to health care unfortunately we are we are not there but it's around um you know that engagement and the flexibility around what centers this employment relationship that we have and being brutally honest you know and in our honesty how do we co-craft and co-create solutions mm-hmm. and where we're sitting right now or with many corporates we're not co-creating solutions mm-hmm. we're not co-crafting solutions so your employer comes and says this is what we're going to be doing mm-hmm. right and especially where you find your workforce is not really unionized or probably it's unionized but they don't really have an active and a powerful union so you know sometimes then they get dictated to in terms of what they need to do and mm-hmm. by virtue of applying that method uh, you get a lot of resistance mm-hmm. right we see companies retrenching uh, in certain instances uh, but they are not wanting to you know to share their financial statements mm. why if you're saying the reason that you're retrenching is because we're not profitable yeah. show me that we are not profitable and if i'm coming to work every day doing my best getting new customers selling you uh you know uh clients or uh you know policies and all of those things and i am doing it month in and month out without fail mm. with the standards that you have set for myself and then you come and you tell me that you can't afford to give me an increase then tell me what am i doing mm. you know and i think we lack that level of you know robust conversations and debates and they are actually missing how train rates went up or are they going up on the first of june Mm -hmm. i think they're going up somebody sent a message and said this is the price that uh it's gonna cost me to travel with how train every month and i can't afford it I can't afford to come to work five days a week. Mm-hmm. I need to go speak to my manager and ask them to actually, you know, work three days in the office and two days at home for me to be able to buffer yeah. the cost. And it, 
it goes back to what I said, the openness and the honesty that really centers around the conversations, you know, around, you know, our wellness, our economic challenges, you know, and the social ills that we are, we are facing. Unless we get to that space of normalizing these conversations and moving with the times and making changes as the challenges come, it's going to be easier. Um, our South African labor market and labor force is not as flexible to adapt and to move with the changes as they really happen. Mm. We are so reactive that we wait for something big to happen. We wait for an outburst. We wait for a situation. And sometimes even when the situation arrives, we are not ready to deal with it at that point in time. And I think once we can try and drive to move to that direction, then we will be better to deal with those, uh, you know, those challenges in the workspace. Mm. Now, there's so many challenges i mean that we've we've chatted about today but there's also a lot of opportunities Mm -hmm. um and for anybody who's watching or listening to this conversation i'm pretty sure that they too have a lot of questions about okay yes we've seen this we've noticed this we acknowledge this but what do we do about it Mm. right how do you begin to tackle this i think for me it's important for people to also be proactive and take ownership you know, of their situations and of their careers as well. Oftentimes, people are waiting for someone to tell them that it's time for you to move. Mm. It's time for you to to study. It's time for you to, you know, uh, maximize on this particular opportunity. Mm. And because of that, if someone doesn't tell us, then we don't get to move or we don't get to do anything else. And people need to remember that, their careers and their growth, whether in entrepreneurship or in corporate, really solely, you know, rely on you as an individual. Mm-hmm. And what is it that you are building around yourself to be able to help you move ahead? Could it be through coaching? Could it be through mentorship? Could it be through, you know, professional bodies? But even with those in your in your basket, you know, what are you doing and what decisions are you are we making? So it, for me, it's about moving to the ownership space, mm. right? You can have all these, all, all these resources, all these people around you, but if you do not really own the narrative around your situation. Mm. And also, look for a silver lining. There's always a silver lining in the challenge, and we often don't see the silver lining because we are so fixated and you know so passionate about this closing door that we use all our energy to try to keep it open, but it's not opening up. And again, on a personal level and also probably on a spiritual level, sometimes it's just taking that leap of faith. Mm. It's also taking about, it's taking leap of faith to say, you know what, I know what I'm meant to be. I know what I want to achieve, you know, but that comes with sacrifices and compromises. And because we are also operating from a, from, from, from a fear, you know, perspective, we don't want to, because what if it doesn't work? Mm. Oftentimes we don't say, what if it works? Mm. Right. And if it doesn't work, what were the learnings from, from that failure, you know? And for me, it's, it's it's those things that will really get us to where we need to, to go with all these challenges. There are challenges, but there are opportunities. How many, businesses came out of COVID-19 mm. how many uh, people started you know saying I need to focus on my health because of the pandemic how many people said I need to advance my skills how many people said I need to actually invest in data analytics you know or BI because they are the skills of the future due to that so look at adversity but look for the positive and the silver lining in that adversity and I think we like that quite a lot as individuals. Absolutely, because every every challenge presents an opportunity. The challenge exists because there is an opportunity. Definitely. And having that frame of mind really does become a game changer for you professionally as well as in your personal life. 
Uh, well, anyway, gosh, this conversation could go on forever <laughs> and a day, and I think I'll probably have you back on because Thank there's just you. there's such a vastness to the, the you know the 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 context around people and their careers because you're not just dealing up with skills and outputs and performance you're dealing with people and you know there's such an opportunity for us to truly embrace humanity and this is not even something we should be talking about because we should right. be recognizing each other's humanity as much as we recognize our own but i think there's just so much work and so many conversations that still need to be had um but we will wrap it up here for today so for anybody who wants to learn more wants to follow you wants to interact with you sure. where can they find you um, they can find me on my social media pages uh, on ig which is instagram it's bonnie where your hr specialist then LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, it's Boniwe Dansta. Twitter, it's Dansta underscore Boniwe. And you can also visit my website, which is uh, blueeaglehc.co.za. And then I'll be able to, you know, to respond to those messages over there. I encourage you to follow her if you're not already following her. She shares so much information so freely, information that will really help you navigate your career. It'll help you learn a lot. And I think, you know, if there's one thing that you take away from the conversation that we've had today, it's that reflect, um, take ownership of where you're at and where you could potentially go, but also be open to learning from other people. I think it's so, so important to not be fixated on I'm only going to learn from a CEO. Mm -hmm. I'm only going to learn from a veteran because that keeps you fixed in seeking people who think the way that you do <laughs> and do things the way that you do and that does not enable your growth. So yeah. open up your mind and be willing to learn from others and also share what you know with others. Nobody can take away your light from you shining it. So this has been another episode of the Workplace Revolution with me, Sile Polani. Thank you so much for joining us and I look forward to seeing you again next time. <laughs>